I'm John Green. And I'm Emily Bonneville. And this is Performance Check. Before we get into the episode, since this is a brand new podcast on the Tome Show Network, let me take a minute to explain to new listeners what exactly Performance Check is. At its heart, Performance Check is a monthly show that's focused on how to be better role players. We'll have shows that focus on skills to use at the table to make more interesting and more memorable characters that really shine. Uh, we'll also be interviewing players from some actual play podcasts and uh, Twitch streams, learning how they've crafted their characters to see what we can learn from them. Performance Check isn't going to be about you know mechanics or making the, the, the absolute best build or the most technical character. It's about making a character that people remember and will love for years to come. What's our topic today, Emily? Today we're going to be talking about improvisation in RPGs and integrating improv skills into your game. Sounds fantastic. Uh, first, let's go ahead and meet our guests. First off, from uh, from Glasgow, we've got Tony Byrne. Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what your background is in theater, and uh, what your background is in relation to, to RPGs. So, I have been doing theatre for quite a while. Um, I think it was 13, and I did a show with the National Theatre of Scotland. And from there, pretty much caught the bug and grew up doing a lot of youth theatre, taking part in anything I could, because my school didn't offer it. However, I then found my love for voice and doing voices, impressions and stuff like that, and I kind of went with that. Um, I've got my own theatre company as well, and we've been going from strength to strength, selling out shows. We're doing the, the Edinburgh Fringe this year, which is awesome. And I get to just stretch my legs through that. Uh, in regards to RPGs, I only started playing, um, other than computer games and stuff like that, I've only started playing you know, actual real-life tabletops in the past few years. I've found them almost like an outlet that I get to use, that voice work that I can... Cr- that I've been crafting elsewhere, and I get to use that and that, and that's something that I really enjoy. Fantastic. And we'll take some time at the end of the show to give people some more details about the Fringe and where they can find you. Uh, before we go on, I should let everyone know that Emily is having some connection problems, so she'll be pretty quiet this episode and jumping back in as her connection stabilizes. Uh, I'll try and edit around it so it's less jarring for those uh, for those listening. Uh, but just in case you're wondering why you're not hearing as much from Emily. Uh, but yes, now quickly to our other guest, David. Uh, David, tell me a little bit about uh, yourself, your background, your history with theater, improv, and RPGs. Yeah, similarly, I've been doing theater for as long as I can remember. Uh, when I was in uh, high school, I joined a troupe called Youth Theater, and this is in upstate New York near Lake George, and it was a theater intensive. We did three full-length musicals in one month. So we really got the full absorption technique. And as Tony said, you catch the bug. Uh, And I certainly did. And I did traditional theater and improv all through college. And then when I graduated from college, moved to Boston uh, to work at the Boston Children's Museum on their kids stage. And when I was there, my uh, director said that Improv Improv Boston was having auditions. And I went and I got into the main stage and I've been there uh, 21 years now, and I've been an instructor, director, performer, and writer there for almost all that time. In terms of RPGs, I've been playing them, I, th- I just counted like 35 years. I think I started with the Red Book. Oh, as well, the original Red Box. Jeez. The original Red Box. Oh, that's impressive. Graduated to the Blue Box, and all the way up through, I took some time off during third edition because it was so overwhelming. I didn't have time to dig into it all. 
but uh, yeah, I'm all the way up to fifth, and uh, I've been I haven't DM'd during all that time, but the last five years I've been DMing with my own group. Fantastic. So um, one reason that I had both of you on for this uh, for this topic in particular is uh, you both have some background in improv, and that's something that. You know, when you see someone who's really good at improv, it's amazing and mind-blowing. And when you see um, a lot of actual plays, you see them come up with these stories and these characters and these you know weird little bits off the fly, and it's an amazing thing to see. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't always get to experience in their own home games. So I was hoping to talk to you a little bit and um, really get you know some of the expert opinion about how we can take some of those some of those theater tricks, some of those improv tricks, and bring them into our uh, our our own RPG games, so that you know hopefully. You know, our home games look a little bit more like you know what you might see on Critical Role or the Acquisitions Incorporated things, or even some of the um, some of the other non D and D actual plays out there. Uh, before we get into all that, let's take a quick minute to thank our sponsors, Noble Knight Games. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases, including D and D. They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today! And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. And we're back. So, I throw around improv, and this is something that, you know, some people's exposure to this might be nothing more than, say, whose line is it anyway? But when we talk about improv, how is that different from just, you know, regular role-playing like most of us do hopefully you know, every week in our regular games well i can i can take a crack at that uh tony there's there's certainly some overlap there uh improv is collective storytelling you could agree that rpg or certainly D is collective storytelling the difference that i see is that there's an agreement to agree very often it's it's very easy in all kinds of storytelling to use your character in its own little silo. This is what I do, this is what I think, this is how I act. But when you look at it from an improv agreement, we're using this principle of yes and that you've heard a lot about. And it's an agreement to agree, meaning when I am telling part of the story that you are in, that I'm honoring your intention and I'm listening to what came before me and I'm building on top of that so that we are collectively moving forward instead of me inserting my idea into everything else we're actually moving forward together would you say that's uh do you agree with that tony yeah i would definitely agree with that um the i'd say with improv definitely understanding what everyone else has been doing and gathering that and almost like you're pulling threads and then weaving them into one product at the end um but also just the, the with standard storytelling I feel as if you've kind of got to have this long term goal in mind whereas with improv it can be a bit more short form with the aim of getting there at the end but you can create some really nice little moments from that just from 
what do I know about these people? What can we do together? And running with that, with those threads and building little pieces as you go kind of thing. So now how is how is that different from just the regular okay the DM is telling me part uh, telling us you know part of the story kind of what's going on we'll run with that how is you know creating these small moments and agreeing with other characters how is that different from just the interaction between the players and the GM Well when I run my table I have uh, think at, at one point I had all improvisers and there was a luxury in that because uh, we were kind of speaking the same language and they had the same kind of expectations. There was this one moment, it was so, so simple, but it, it kind of speaks to the elegance of this agreement to agree, is uh, there was a, a, a guard lizardman who was uh, tracking down our, our main rogue, and the rogue was hiding in a bunch of rocks. And I, as the DM, I stood up, and I walked over to my player who was playing the rogue, and then he stood up. And we didn't I didn't tell him what I was doing. He just knew that something was happening. And he agreed that whatever's happening, he's gonna just gonna go along with. And I stood up really, really close to him and then started portraying the actions of the the guard, looking around slowly, looking sort of past him as if he was in the rocks and I was just barely not seeing him. And uh, this player just stood there frozen as if he was the rogue hiding in the rocks and it just created this moment of tension that i could have said the guard comes up and he looks he doesn't quite see you and you're hiding in the rocks and he would say yep i know and i'm hiding quietly that is certainly collective storytelling but it can it can build into these tiny little theatrical moments but that only it, it's more powerful when you're speaking the same language and you have the same expectations of, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I'm going to say yes to it, and then we'll figure out the rest as we go. Um, hey, so we've now added in uh, Emily Bonneville, uh, our co-host, so she'll be joining us from this point on. Um, now, David, I'm, I'm very sorry, I just interrupted you there a second ago, but uh, one thing that I wanted to look at, we've talked a lot about saying, you know, the, the general yes and, uh, you know, going in with the mindset that whatever is happening, I'm going to agree to it, and we'll move on. Or, and, or I'll just kind of go with whatever happens. How do you, how can you go in that with the mindset? Because some of the things I get, you know, if you're agreeing to something before you know it's going to happen, that could mean that you're agreeing to something that could be potentially bad for your character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, it's important to note that bad things happen to characters all the time, and it's part of what storytelling is. That's one of the reasons I love performing improv is because you don't know what you're agreeing to. It speaks to this concept of it, it speaks to the concept that what you have you already need. Meaning, if I have a weakness in my character, someone might exploit that weakness, and that is all part of the story. And I like playing characters that are sometimes weak because then you have an opportunity to sort of bust out of that at the end and then find your strength and win again sense um so tony i've had the opportunity to play with you a few times and i've actually seen you almost take advantage of this like set yourself up in situations where you know that your character is purposely out of his depth and is going to be in trouble in the situation that's you know that's upcoming you know how how do you go into a mindset because you know we've got we've all got that desire in D, &D to, you know to succeed and work you know i'm you know my character's going to be the best and i'm going to level up and get these magic items how do you approach a situation knowing that your 
that this is something that your character is probably going to be terrible at. I think part of that is accepting that, yes, you are, you're playing this character, but you're a player. You're you're part of a team. um, And sometimes it can be more beneficial for the enjoyment of you and for the players to to put yourself into that somewhat negative situation. Uh, I've several times in the past said that the best way to kill a dragon is to get inside it and detonate yourself. And mm-hmm. it's always a fun way to do it. But in those situations, I know there is, there is a slim chance I might get out of that alive, but it's hilarious in the situation and it creates this weird mechanic of, He's, yep, and no, he didn't actually survive to do it. We've just, he's dead. Oh, well. Or you get into a situation where you're like, this is a horrible idea. How can we make it work? I, I play characters with their flaws, with their their positive and negative traits in mind, and I will play that to death if need be. Where if my character has an addiction, I will play that addiction even to the detriment of the character because that's what he would do. Um. And I think in those situations, it's more going, right, with, because it's mainly 5th edition I play, uh, we have the rule set that 5th edition gives you. However, like any tabletop, it is the rule of the DM. If something's cool, then it probably will happen. And that's what I try and do. I try and, I'll take those flaws go, this is, this is the rules I've got. How can I get out of this situation using the constraints I have? But at the same time, can I interpret these in such a way that it will make magic happen. And, yeah, I, th- I think it's just my willingness to fail. <laughs> uh, willingness well, to fail, that's actually... Oh, sorry, go ahead, David. Yeah, can I just jump on the end of that here? Yeah. There is, in, in, uh, this is true, most of the... Very true in superhero movies. These In any kind of conflict scene, it's true for sitcom storytelling, it's true for collective role-playing uh, role around the table, is that if you have conflict eventually somebody has to win and somebody has to lose or everybody wins or everybody loses but typically it's somebody wins and somebody loses and there is an element of empowerment by saying you know i'm gonna take the hit i'm gonna play my character as real as as real as i can and if that means i'm not running out i'm not running faster than the troll then that's the way it goes because that's how the story moves forward it would be really boring if you move 20 feet, and the troll moves 20 feet. And you move 20 feet, and the troll moves 20 feet. So, um, yeah, uh, I like this idea that we're not always the best. Otherwise, we wouldn't be heroes. We'd be gods. So we, we've kind of talked around, uh, around it a little bit. But as you kind of go into a game, what's the mindset that, you know, as, as people who you know have this improv and have this theater background, what's the mindset that you have towards the overall story that you think might be different from just a standard RPG player who, you know, like maybe they played a game or two, maybe they just know computer games. How do you approach the story, do you think, that's different than someone who hasn't, doesn't have these same kinds of mindsets? I'd I'd say that, so with most of your long-form campaigns, there is an overarching goal. There is is an end point that you're aiming from. From what I would say is your your standard doesn't have the same background as as um player would go. That's our end goal. How do we get there? How how do we achieve that big goal? Whereas my mindset in 
D and D, be it that or other systems, is the, the mindset of Ithaca. It's yes, that is my end goal. However, what can we do along the way? What shenanigans can we get up to? You know, um, with the the end goal being that if I rush my way to that end goal and complete it, that's awesome. But at the same time, there's so many missed opportunities. Like in the current campaign, I am currently trying to set up a temple for my god. It has no bearing on that end goal. However, I really want to build a temple for my god. <laughs> and I think it is that that Ithaca mindset of, yes, the, the destination is a goal, but it isn't the main goal. The main goal is to, to have fun along the way. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, there's a phrase I like to use, which is honor the intention. There's an exercise I do in some of my improv workshops where, say, you have six people in front of you and they're telling a story collectively one person at a time. And I would point to one person and that person might say, once upon a time there was a an ogre in the woods. And then I would move my hand and point to the second person and they would say, and the ogre is digging a hole. And then I move my hand and the third person might say, the ogre finds treasure. If I point to the fourth person and they say, and all of a sudden uh, a zombie T-Rex comes in and eats someone, that's not really the honoring the intention of the story. And so I like to go into the mindset of what's the next obvious thing here, whether it's good or whether it's bad, this isn't my opportunity to be selfish and you know, to have the thief steal goods from everyone because that's what a thief does. But what is the, the intention of the story that we're moving forward? We have a goal, we have this Ethica mindset, but my mindset is we, I am listening to you and then I'm adding stuff on top of that. So it's less, it's less you focused and more group focused. But the problem with improv is that that's not instinctive. Humans are very egotistical and very tribal, and my idea is always the best. So it takes a little bit of dropping the ego to recognize, I think, well, I'll probably have more fun if I like your idea first and then add my idea on top of it. Right. So, David, I know so you're a teacher. Emily, you also are a, are a theater teacher. How do you... So, I mean, like you just said, a lot of these things are very, you know, unintuitive. You know, we're inherently selfish people. How do you teach people to you know, to share the spotlight, to embrace each other's ideas, and uh, kind of just go with things that may or may not be beneficial to an individual's character for the sake of you know the the larger overall story or kind of keeping that flow going? Um, one way I could do it in the game would be if you have an NPC with the group, as you the GM go, oh that's a cool idea. If you start concentrating on the one idea, maybe somebody who doesn't talk a lot going, oh, I like your idea, like, more people will be like, okay, well, since the NPC who is controlled by the god likes this idea, maybe we should follow it. Could be a way to lead, like, teach people, like, okay, well, like, other people have ideas. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, in the improv classroom, um, I call it side coaching. But it's it's a way, as a DM, it's, it's just kind of prompting. Just what Emily said is... Uh, uh, you know, so, so we, uh, we were sitting around with all these lizard men and we were drinking a toast to our successes. And one of the improvisers sort of raised his cup uh, and I saw him do this and I said, oh, it looks like it looks like this uh, character is starting to drink the way only lizard men drink. And then they all sort of watched 
and and mirrored what that original character was doing. And I, you know, prompted them like, yeah, this is what's happening right now. How do you add on to that? Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a great way to sort of like, it's it's setting the tone, it's setting the expectations of how the story is being told. As as GMs, we need to catch those moments where uh, you know where players are starting to bring that out and kind of latch onto them and explain them to the group. And I guess as players, we just need to be on the lookout for where we can jump on and add on to someone's idea, kind of in keeping with the you know with the tone and the idea and the momentum that we discussed earlier. Is that am I kind of summarizing that correctly? Yeah, I would say that absolutely, and and because it, it's it, uh, the, it, I think the difference is you're not in your silo. It's very easy for I'll use this example again. For the 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 thief is the one that steals everything because that's what a thief does. <laughs> but that's not always helpful. So if if the thief if the thief decides you know I'm not going to steal from this person I'm going to like them instead, then the DM could sort of side coach that yeah 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 and what's give me a reason why that why this different mindset is is good for you. And then talk to the, and ask the players. Yeah, this thief is not stealing from you. How does that make you feel about him? So uh, you're sort of calling out these little ideas that can grow into something else. As the DM, you should be aware of them, and as the player, you could be aware of them too. Because your job, I see it as your job as a player, is to make all of your other players look fantastic, and to make all of your other uh, characters succeed. And that only happens if I like what you're doing, or at least my, my character acknowledges and recognizes what you're doing, and then uh, adds on to that. So it's it's extra awareness. One th- one problem that I sometimes see, especially if it's in a uneven group where some people have you know theater and improv backgrounds and some people don't, is it's very easy for the character for the player who's very you know very quick on his or her feet can come up with something really fun and engaging right away and go off onto these you know these side stories these side bits. And, you know, it's great and entertaining for the group, but you always run into the danger of kind of overshadowing some of your uh, your fellow players. Uh, Tony, I'll jump back to you just because, I, you know, I, I know that this can be, uh, you know, this is something that you've had to experience where, obviously, you know, you, you're very quick and you're very fast, and some of the players, that you, people that you play with, you know, they're good people, but they don't always have that same creative spark or that's that very quick wit. How do you try to share the spotlight with those people and keep, you know, and as a player keep the spotlight moving around to everyone. I know that's partly the DM's job, but as a player, how do you how do you see that? I mean, yeah, I'd say it, it, there is a, there is an onus on a DM to try and, you know, share that out. However, as a player, there is also a responsibility. And as a person, that if I have come up with a situation, I'm like, oh yeah, we can do this, this is how we can get out of it. But I notice that, you know, player A has not been... I don't want to say contributing because that's not the right term, but maybe they're not, you know, they've not had a moment in quite a while or something like that. If I have come up with a situation and I can maybe tie them in and I'm like, this isn't something my character could achieve on their own. However, I could be saying to this character, you know, I'm not good enough for this. Could you help me and try and pull them in and use their skills? And maybe they have a relationship that we can use that relationship with another character to try and build on a story. But yeah, so if if I came up with that idea, try and draw on other people's skill sets to get them into it, to maybe bring them out of their shell a bit and maybe even slowly but surely try and get them to take a lead on that. 
And then that starts to build story threads that they can later on take initiative on and go, we did this earlier on. This was something I was involved in. Here we go. I know what I'm doing here. And you can start to build that confidence in your other players just by someone else getting them involved in it. Starting as a, a cooperative effort, but then slowly but surely weaning off and letting them move on with it. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Uh, Emily, David, anything that y'all want to add to that? That's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, even as a player, if you go and get the person involved and push them through, um, it would definitely be just helping them. And also, if you are an actor, it's also knowing maybe it's not my time to shine. Like, I could do this, but it'll be as funny if I do it in two more games. It doesn't need to happen now. Maybe I can, you know, couch it a bit today and see what else comes out because... I mean, it's a group game. Yeah, yeah. I, the only, uh, I guess I would just agree with everything they just said and phrase it in my own way, which is, you know, as, as exactly as Tony said, as a DM, it's kind of like uh, if you've ever led a, a meeting in a company or something like that, you want to hear feedback from everyone. So you need to engage the person that is less, you know, that's a little less extroverted. And, you know, what do you think of this? You know, that's how you get more information and get more ideas onto the table. So as a DM, you can do that, but you can also do it as a player. You can actually engage less extroverted players and say, you know, I'm going to sneak around the corner. Um, Hey, Claire, come with me. I need a second set of eyes here. Just make that offer. It's a kind of, like, it's player empathy, character kindness. Let's just, everyone just work together. This this podcast is more player-focused. I've got got lots of thoughts for DMs on that situation, but we'll uh, we'll save that for a different show. Um, okay, so again, all of you have a very strong background in in theater, in improv, in you know making these you know moments and this attitude for story. For those people who are listening who don't really have that same mindset or that same training, what are some very simple like tricks, tools of the trade, way to approach things that people can start kind of taking and internalizing and working to make their games better and make and you know be more open to those improv, unexpected, away from the dice moments. Uh, David, earlier you mentioned the the classic yes and. Uh, do you want to just kind of explain that a little bit for people who aren't familiar with that? Oh yeah, it's uh, the idea is someone has an idea. Someone makes an, what we call improv. It's an offer. It's a, here's a thing. Here's information I'm giving to you, and the person receiving that information would agree, not necessarily exactly to that fact, but that it's that the agree to that reality it is the thing that you both think it is, and then add more information on top of that. So it could be very, just be a very, very simple scenario is uh, the, the cleric wants to attack, then the, the, um, the rogue might, you know, using this language would be like, yes, I want to attack too, and I'm gonna sneak around in the back. For example, I mean that's that's basically what it is. It's it's yes, this is what's happening, and I have more information on top of that. All right, cool. Um, Tony, what's what are some like simple like tricks, um, ways of thinking, ways to approach a game that you've kind of learned that you think other people could take and apply to their own games? Um, one that I'd say as and I've experienced this in a lot of games I'm playing is the rule of cool. Like, if you think something would be cool present it because yes it might not follow the rules of the game exactly 
but you can present that idea and you might not know how to go about it, but then you stimulate conversation between the group. People will start going, yeah, we, we could do this, we could do this, and then you get cooperation with everyone. And the DM will more than likely go, yeah, but it's going to be hard. You know, it's, it's going to be, this is going to be a struggle and you want that conflict. Um, other things is just not to be scared of vocalizing your ideas because there's a lot of players I know who would think, oh, I want to do this, but I don't think everyone else will like it. Or, oh, this would be quite a good idea, but I don't think people will go with that idea. It's just to get rid of the fear because you're never going to be able to do things with it. Fear, fear in those situations doesn't help you have more fun. So if, if you have an idea, say to the people, it might get knocked down. People go, I mean, it doesn't really go here. However, three games later, that might be the best plan. You know, that might be something that is accessible then. So just not having that fear, play with it. At the end of the day, it is a game. And yeah, my main enemy is fear. I'd say. <laughs> just add on to that, which is particularly well, we're figuring out combat moves, but it's really true in any scenario, which is any decision is better than no decision. It, whether it's storytelling or whether it's what's my next tactical move, I like to keep combat just clicking right or wrong because I'd rather have uh, them make a decision which might not be tactically perfect but we'll move the story along and something cool might come out of it, then they have endless debate as a, as a story. And that's true for both the DM, like let's get things, just make any decision. Sometimes I'll force sort of a false sense of time on them. But it's also true for a player. As a player, I decide, you know what, I can't really decide. So I'm going to do this thing, done, and then just move forward. So forget the fear, man. Anything is better than nothing. Any decision is better than no decision. Go for it. Excellent. Um, Emily, I know you spend a lot of time working with uh, with middle schoolers, teaching them. I mean, just <laughs> everything there is to do about theater. How do you start bringing them into this? Like, what are the first things that you start teaching them to get them into this mindset? Mostly that nobody it doesn't matter how good you think the other people are. Nobody thinks they're good. So, it, not to be afraid. Also, like everybody else has been saying, because even if you look, like I watch a lot, obviously, of Critical Role. It was said last time. Um, even they think their characters are they're being idiots sometimes. Everybody, doesn't matter how good of an actor or how bad of an actor you think, the person in front of you probably also thinks they're being an idiot. And just putting it on like, okay, try. I mean, you don't lose anything if you try. And if you're playing in the make-believe world, okay, so you lost some hit points. Doesn't affect you as a human personally. You're still fine. And just letting go. So that's... What I tried to do. Okay, that's good advice. All right. Um. So those are kind of all the main points that I wanted to discuss. Is there anything else that uh, anyone wants to bring up? Any last thoughts, opinions, ideas, really critical, uh, you know, insights that we want to share as far as you know, insights and in RPGs go. Or sorry, not insights, <laughs> improv and RPGs go. Well, I have a an idea that um, this is a principle I use a lot as a DM, although it's also true as a as a player. Okay. It's the concept of if this is true, what else is true? It really helps me flesh out any story ideas that I have. If I have a nugget of a story, I'm like, well, where can I go from here? You apply this concept, if this is true, what else is true? So if I have a bad guy that I want to attack a city, like that's just my starting point. Okay, well, if it's true he wants to attack a city, what else is true? Maybe he's attacked other cities. 
if he's attacked other cities, maybe he knows the perfect way to go attack this one. If he knows the perfect way, he might have the perfect army. And you can just sort of follow this down there. As I said. Sometimes I get caught in the trap of, well, well, now what do I do? Or what else do I know about this thing? Uh, and the idea is that you always know something else. You might not know that you know it, but you totally do. Because everything comes from something else. So if I know this piece of information, it must have been inspired by a previous information. So I use that as a, I use that a lot as a DM just to flesh out my stories a little bit. But as a player, you can do that too. Um, you know, if if I know I my parents were killed when I was young, what else is true? Well, I I may be uh, afraid of any kind of parental figures. If I'm afraid of any kind of parental figures, maybe I don't like this maternal cleric that's in the group for example. So that, that's a principle I use a lot as, as a player and as a DM. That's a really good thought. I like that a lot. My, I would say that and it's something I've used as a DM in the past um, and something you've actually used as well, John, in some of the games that I've played. Uh, if, if you have a structured game, don't be afraid to, to step out of it and do something that isn't in the mechanics that isn't no one can prepare for it because it's not pre-existing material um we've done it where we've we've incorporated dread into a game before and it that situation no one was prepared for and it became super tense i personally i've i've brought players into a room where i was in character and we're playing strad and i was playing the part of strad and this was a dream sequence and they sat down at a table i had a conversation with them and yes i had points but everything was player driven and I was just bouncing off them. This is what happens. But so yeah, I'd say don't don't be afraid to come to lift the game into our world and and play with things there because I think some of the moments that I've been involved with with when that's happened have been some of the most interesting moments I've had in games. Definitely. And that actually goes right back to what David was talking about at the, uh, at the very beginning about whenever yep. you know, a lizard folk is looking for another person, yeah, taking that step out and actually bringing things into the real world. That's, uh, that's a great yep. point. Uh, Emily, any last thoughts from you? Um, something that we do, I think, naturally as uh, DMs and less players do, but you could do would be we sometimes have a idea of an NPC they're going to meet and we create the NPC and then we add what they'll be to it, like class. And But if you start, if you think of your character first, you can do it with your own character. Say, okay, well, I want to have a character. I want them to have lived on the forest. And then after you've created a character, go, okay, what kind of class are they going to be? Instead of starting from class and then building your character so you're less restrained. Just, I, yeah, so not being afraid. Okay, I'm with you. And that a lot of that goes back to I think actually what David was just saying earlier about you know if I know this, then what about this? And taking yeah. those certain solid points and then jumping off of them. I like that a lot. Yeah, but instead of going like oh I'm a say okay I'm gonna be a rogue, so give me a rogue living in forest. Be like okay, I wanna. They live in the forest. They do this, and you might end up singing oh I thought I was gonna create a rogue, but I created a druid instead. Or you know oh this would be better as that class just going instead of starting because we all have our preconceived notions of what each class should be so if you start with a character you might realize oh my character turns out he's that class and might you might end up even trying something new a class that you don't usually play got it um and that's actually a great way to get out of certain ruts um which is a whole other topic that i want to talk, i want to speak about it at some point okay 
Um, well, I think that kind of brings us to the end. Any last thoughts that people have before we uh, before we wrap this up? Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Um, so, uh, Dave, we'll start with you. Where can people uh, find you online if they want to get in touch with you, ask you any questions, or uh, or if they want to, or if any shows that you've got in Boston? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Uh, we are so if you're in the Boston area uh, in a couple weeks in August uh, what August what are we looking at here August 5th and 6th we're having a 35 hour comedy marathon in uh, to act as a fundraiser fundraiser for Improv Boston which is our 35th year anniversary I think we are the longest or or maybe second longest running uh, improv theater in the country so it should be a fantastic festival. I can be reached at david.lewis.marino at gmail.com. That's david.lewis.marino at gmail.com or at davidlewismarino.com. Um, I, what I do for life is I, uh, I use improv and other theater techniques to teach workshops on interpersonal communications. So that includes customer service, public speaking, team building, any kind where there's any kind of humans talking to other humans. They're really active, interactive workshops. I can customize it for anyone, uh, for any organization, whether it's for-profit or non-profit. And I do travel all over the world if, uh, if that's where the business is, London, New York, Hong Kong, of course, all over the US. So even if you have any questions about whether what I do might apply to one of your companies or organizations, yeah, just just let me know, david.lewis.marino at gmail.com. And uh, Tony, earlier you mentioned uh, that you've got a show coming up at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Is that correct? Yes, we certainly do. Me and my theatre company, Spelt Milk. Um, We're performing from the 4th of August until the 26th of August. Um, Every day, excluding Sundays. Um, There are varying times. However, if you go to the Edinburgh Fringe website and just type in adulting, that is the name of our show. And it's a show all about being at the point in your life where you're becoming an adult, not in the physical sense, but in the mental sense. And how does anyone truly ever get to the stage where they go, I'm an adult now? Or did they get to the stage where they go, I I should be an adult now? So the show explores those themes. Um, So yeah, throughout the year, uh, if people would want to contact me, it's contact at anthonyburn.co.uk. And yeah, just contact me if you want to know anything about setting up a theatre company or using those skills in a role-playing sense. Uh, you can also find the theatre company at spiltmilktheatre.co.uk. Yeah. Emily, is there anywhere that uh, on Twitter, online, that people can find you if they want to get in touch with you, if they have any questions? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Miley, that's M-Y-L-I-E. Uh, no, actually, that's Mistress Miley, but Miley's still spelled that way. Four... And I think on the Instagram is just Mr. Smiley because I was not the fourth one to get my name. <laughs> Again, Miley is M-Y-L-I-E. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Performance Check. Don't forget you can find more episodes of Performance Check and other great shows on thetomeshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at John underscore M underscore green. That's J-O-N underscore M underscore green, just like the color. Or you can read an RPG supplement called Edge of the Frontier, a Western conversion for Star Wars FFG role-playing game uh, that I created, over on drivethroughrpg.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.